1: Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. As he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white, suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, "'Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying get up and do not be afraid and when they looked up they saw no one except Jesus himself alone as they were coming down the mountain Jesus ordered them tell no one about the vision until after the son of man has been raised from the dead the gospel of the Lord
0: you, you may be seated Grace and peace to you, my siblings in Christ. I know what you're thinking. Why is he wearing a life jacket? It's going to be another one of those stories about a canoe trip. (laughs) Not today. You see, on Monday, the chaplains who are part of the National Guard join together, and with the Air National Guard, we have Our monthly meetings. And so this past Monday, we all gathered together. And February just so happens to be the month that we remember the four chaplains on the SS Dorchester. There were two Protestant ministers, George Fox and Clark Poling, along with Catholic priest John Washington and Rabbi Alexander Good. These four chaplains had all attended chaplain school together and were deployed to Europe during World War II. Now, each February, us chaplains gather to hear what they did and why their actions are so memorable. It's a story that you wouldn't believe. You'd think it was surely exaggerated to be greater than it is, but the eyewitness accounts from those who were there confirm that this is how it happened. So it went something like this. During the early morning hours on February 3, 1943, the SS Dorchester was struck by a German torpedo off the coast of Newfoundland. As the ship was going down and the soldiers were uh, scrambling to get to the deck, many of them had not brought their life jackets with them. And so when the four chaplains reached the deck, all of them wearing their life jackets, they witnessed mass chaos. Many of these soldiers were unprepared. They weren't even ready for what had uh, just happened, despite warnings that this could happen. And so as we were hearing the story told on Monday, our instructor, Chaplain Colonel Daniel Pullew, recounted what happened next. Each of the four chaplains removed their life jacket and they gave it to another soldier. Didn't matter if they knew who it was didn't matter what the person's faith was. They just selflessly gave their soul the, the life jackets away. As the ship began to sink, the four chaplains were on top of the deck singing hymns and reciting scriptures, arm in arm, praising God while they knew that they weren't going to survive the attack. Only 230 of the 904 men aboard the ship survived that day. But that act of uh, selfless service is memorialized in so many ways. It's remembered by the chaplains each year, but each of the buildings that we attend our chaplain school at Fort Jackson are named after the four chaplains. They were remembered on a postage stamp Their story of bravery and courage inspired others during those final years of the war. But to hear Chaplain Pulleyu tell this story, it was a humbling reminder to each of us of the call to service that each of us chaplains take. He was telling us that in the week leading up to this, as he was preparing to present and tell us about the four chaplains, he was telling somebody else about this He told them what had happened and what the chaplains had done and how they'd given away their life jackets. Uh, And he was telling this to another person. And that person looked at him and said, I couldn't do that. How many of us would just automatically, instinctively give up our life jacket to help someone else survive? It's not an easy decision. To sacrifice one's life for a friend is one thing, but a complete stranger? Chaplain Pullew shared that part of his story was able to share this to put it all into perspective for us. Now this was the day after the Super Bowl. So he compared the preparations that the four chaplains had to do to get ready to the ability to make the big play in the biggest game. He said, You don't just show up and make the big play. It's all the little things along the way that help prepare us to do those big things. It was a great thing for us as the chaplains to think about, but I think it's also important for each of us as we walk in faith to think about as well. Consider why we do the training that we do, consider why we do the spiritual disciplines that we take on. What are we doing? How are we preparing? And what are we preparing for? He said, our goal is to become the people who naturally do these big things. I don't know what those big things will be for us, but when put in that moment where our faith is challenged, how do we respond? Where do we get our guidance to be the people who naturally do those big things? To me, the answer is Christ my God-given understanding of the love of God and my response to it, even though I know I mess this up all the time. I don't know how I would act in that situation. I know how I hope I would act. I don't even do the little things right most of the time. So how on earth could God trust me with the big things? So today's story is about Jesus being transfigured on a mountain. It's one of those big moments in the Bible, one of those big plays in the big game. But when the reading started, Betty said, Six days later. Well, that's kind of a weird way to start a story. Six days after what? Six days earlier, Jesus had a come to Jesus moment, you could say. He had some time with his disciples where he told them he was gonna be killed by the elders and the chief priests, but on the third day be raised. When hearing this, Peter said, God forbid that, this must never happen to you. To which Jesus said, what? Oh man, I'm so glad my friend doesn't want that to happen to me. Oh Peter, you're right, that shouldn't happen. Thanks for suggesting that. Peter, I know that you will do whatever it takes to make sure that that doesn't happen. Is that how it happened? What does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That is not the response Peter expected, is it? Your best friend tells you you're Satan. Away. Wow. Peter, you are setting your sights on human things, not divine things. Jesus knows what he has to face, he knows what the outcome will be. But what about Peter? How does Peter respond to this after getting shredded by Jesus for this comment? Is he going to be a little shy the next time something like this comes up? Is he going to be afraid to offer up his opinion in the moment? Let's find out. Six days later, we get another example. And, and, and certainly Peter must not have been cast off too far because he's one of the only three disciples to go up the mountain with Jesus. And so when Jesus, his friend and Savior, says, hey, come on up here with me, and Peter witnesses the transfiguration, Jesus shining alongside Elijah and Moses on the mountaintop, Peter chimes in, wow, Lord, it is so good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Every Transfiguration Sunday, we hear this story. And in my head, I think I hear Jesus' voice being like, Peter, knock it off, you idiot. But that's not there. I think I hear Jesus rebuking him and saying, Get behind me again, Satan. But that's not what happens. So as I read Matthew's account, I'm looking for it, and that's not there. Well, Mark or Luke, because, I mean, we had them in the last two years. It's got to be there, but, it, but it's not. All Jesus essentially does is say, don't be afraid. And then don't tell anyone about this yet. He doesn't say, don't tell anyone about this ever He says, don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man has been risen from the dead. And then I can't help but think, why does Peter want to do this in the first place? Why why does he think I should put up some booths or tents or tabernacles? Well, certainly there's some historical precedence to doing this. It's not like Peter is at Disney World saying, I got to get a picture to document that this happened so I can tell all my friends, otherwise they won't believe me. In reality, Peter's doing something really powerful here. Pastor Jason Mikolai thinks that maybe we got it wrong when it comes to Peter. He says, why doesn't Jesus scold him and say, Peter, it's not about our spiritual experiences. The Son of Man came to serve. Why doesn't he say, go down the mountain and serve? If Peter's offer is such a grave temptation, then why doesn't Jesus tell him like he did before? to get behind me. If Peter is so wrong, why doesn't Jesus respond by rebuking him? It's because here on this mountaintop, it's the only instances in any of the gospels where Jesus doesn't respond at all when something is said to him. It's the only instance where Jesus is silent. So, does he not respond because more or less Peter's right? Peter is right, it is right and good, always and everywhere to worship and adore God, how God became man and in seeing him to see ourselves taken up into that glory. It is good and right, always and everywhere to anticipate our flesh being remade into God's image so that we may be united with God. It is good and it is right for just as Christ's humanity is transfigured by glory without ceasing to be human, so too will our humanity be called into union with God, to be deified without our ceasing to be creatures. And I wonder, maybe I got it wrong too. What if this is the big moment in the big game where Peter is making the big play? He's handing over his life jacket because he knows it's not about him. It's about sharing the good news with everybody else. Peter's only problem is it's the wrong time. Those bigger moments will come. Peter, you will need to tell this story a lot. Peter, you will need to be the one sharing this message, and people will not like it. It will not be easy for you, Peter. But those bigger moments are going to come. And thank God he shared those so that we could come to know Jesus through Peter's account, through his stories. Each Sunday, we gather here and worship. Each day, we spend time thinking about God or focused on God, praying to God, praising God. Each moment that we think about our relationships with our neighbor, those are the little things that help build us up. So, in this time of Lent that is nearly upon us, we focus on those little things the rituals, the habits. The things that help build our spiritual strength. God is calling us in this mountaintop moment to remember those little things. Provide selfless service. Care for each other. Pray for your neighbor. Steward the world that God made. Like those four chaplain, like the four chaplains. Emulate Christ. It might not look like this, but in big ways and little, we are called to serve like Christ did. This cross is like, or this cross is like our life jacket. It's our life preserver. It provides eternal life. The cross is what saves us. So if you need another reminder of that. Sometimes the the cross catches our eye in unique and unusual ways. May this be a reminder of God's love for each and every one of us. Amen.
1: We hope these words will strengthen you as you live out your daily life. If you would like to know more about Faith Reliefment, leave a prayer request, or financially support our mission and ministry, please go to our website at faithfl.org. May God bless you in the days ahead.